Hey, welcome to the Mind Your Health Podcast. I'm so glad you can join us. I'm your host, Dr. Mina Merholm. I'm a board-certified psychiatrist and an assistant professor of clinical psychiatry in Columbia University. I'll be speaking with some of the leading experts in mental health around the world to learn how we can incorporate principles of lifestyle changes, our faith, as well as some of the leading innovations in mental health to learn how we can live happier and more fulfilled lives. And hopefully we'll have some fun along the way. I hope this inspires you and encourages you to mind your health. Welcome uh, to our viewers back to our podcast, Mind Your Health. Today, I am so honored to have someone I've been a fan of and have watched her content for so long and to finally have her with me today. As you know, I'm your host, Dr. Mina Merhom, board certified psychiatrist. Today, I am honored to have Dr. Huma Nedu, who is a Harvard psychiatrist, a nutritional psychiatrist, and a best-selling author of an amazing book called This Is Your Brain on Food. Dr. Dr. Nedu, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Mo. It's really lovely to talk with you. Thank you for that nice introduction. Of course. And I love your background, by the way. It looks like we're ready to have some healthy food right now. <laughs> we're like ready to go. Well, you know, whenever I can hang around the kitchen or be around food, I'm usually pretty happy. So <laughs> I can see. I can see. And it makes sense. And it's a good segue into what we're talking about today. I, I was curious. I want the audience to kind of know first for you personally, what led you to get into this particular subject of the impact of food on, on our health? You know, I think it's a bit of a long story because it, it really does, as, as I think you understand, always goes back to one's childhood. But, you know, when I think about it, just the way that I grew up in a very large South Asian family around my, my mom is a physician herself. So she was in medical school during the daytime. And mm. I skipped out of preschool to, to spend the time with my maternal grandmother to whom my book is dedicated. But, you know, Dr. Mom, from her, I sort of just learned how to pick fresh vegetables from the garden Mm. and watched her prepare food. And my grandfather and her taught me yoga and meditation. So I sort of came into the world with all of these tools that I didn't even realize were there, but were part of how I was raised. And in addition to that, there were also medical doctors, allopathic medical doctors, and a few Ayurvedic practitioners in the family, so that mind-body connection was part of the conversation. So I found that when I began to learn about mental health and the types of medications involved, I felt that in addition to those, because while they're life-saving, they also can have devastating side effects in some individuals, I felt there needed to be more tools in the toolkit to help people feel emotionally better. And that this mind-body connection should not be ignored. And that food was part of lifestyle. You know, I happened to, to love food and always wanted to be around it. So I started to ask questions and a patient mm. that I write about early on in my book really helped me unexpectedly have an aha moment mm. about that connection. So I pursued it and I, uh, you know, culinary school was, was really a pathway of passion. You know, just I love to be around food. I didn't expect it to become part of a niche in what I do, but I'm mm. so grateful that it did. And, you know, I just, I do feel that mental health is still stigmatized, even in this country. And so I feel like it's an easy conversation to have with people, you know, around food, but then also help understand how we can eat better for our mental health. I love that so much. This sounds like it was really kind of an organic way, if you don't mind the pun. Exactly. Oh, (laughs) absolutely. It was totally happened organically and without planning. I feel Mm. fortunate that things happen in a way that I was able to pursue this. And I was always encouraged by my parents. 
I still don't know how they allow me to give out a preschool. So I always say that I'm a, I'm a preschool dropout. But but you know I love I love to be around food and in the kitchen and hang around. My they wouldn't let me do anything, of course, I was too little. But always in that environment, and I think you do you really do absorb things from the environment. So it's really key in in how kids grow up, right? So I, I feel fortunate that way. And we're fortunate that you get to have that journey, so you can share it with us. Because I think when you have that <laughs> yeah. personal kind of experience, and this has been a part of your life it really kind of translates to, to the listener, the reader, the person who's now yes. watching, which I know for some people who are maybe just tuning in and they may not be familiar with nutritional psychiatry. It sounds kind of cool. Right. You know, food has an impact. Can you speak to a little bit about what is this field? What, what's the, why should someone who doesn't really know about it really kind of pay attention? Absolutely. So, so you know, nutritional psychiatry is the use of healthy whole foods and nutrients to improve your mental well-being. And it really can apply to anyone because it turns out that we are what we eat, that old cliche. Mm -hmm. And much of that is explained through the emerging and ongoing research around the gut microbiome, how the gut interacts with the brain, and how that actually explains the connection between what we eat and how we feel emotionally. Mm -hmm. So nutritional psychiatry is certainly an emerging and more nascent field. I've been interested in the intersection of food and the nutritional elements of food, as well as mental health for a very long time in my life. And really was asking those questions early on in my career and was fortunate that it came together. So for anyone listening, you know, you can always start to impact how you're feeling emotionally by how you're eating. It starts off with some very basic principles or very basic pillars that I talk about in nutritional psychiatry. And what I share in my book is really ways that you can start to incorporate and add foods because no one wants to feel deprived and, and feel like you have to eat less or give up something. I kind of don't like that model, you know, and, and, mm. and I'm very much against diet culture. I feel mm. that that tends to be what leads us astray in the US. Um, mm. You know, eat this, don't eat that, you know, include this, give up that nutrient. And sometimes people are, are doing very sort of, they're eliminating foods that are actually healthy. So unless mm. you have an allergy and intolerance or condition like celiac disease, you really should be trying to eat a healthy whole foods. And so this journey, this way of eating, this use of nutritional psychiatry principles is really meant for anyone who wants to feel better. And I think COVID has really not helped that, obviously. Mm. Emotional health is something that we all need to be paying attention to. So that's really oh, what that. it's about. Yeah, and so we're, so you're not saying celery for everybody 24/7. That's not what. Uh, <laughs> no. It's it's not celery or medication or you know mindfulness or yoga. But anyway, it's it's a combination. It's really a holistic, functional, and integrated approach to mental health, which some of my patients I still prescribe medications. So some of my patients may need medications, but others may be able to embrace a holistic model that involves nutrition at the center of that by eating in a healthier way. I love that approach because it's really, you're really speaking to sort of a practical approach here is that it's not going to be extreme. It's not going to be something that you do today and it's not sustainable, right? Because that's one of the big, like, that's, bad well, that's the whole thing. That's exactly it. It's not for many people. It's not sustainable. I had a client recently who was working with me and who heard about a diet from a family member. Hmm. And this diet involved some supplemental shakes and, and bars. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's always whatever the, the ingredients are in a particular protein bar, whatever. So always actually examine what it is. And it wasn't that he was doing anything wrong. But what this was essentially doing, this program he joined, was it was cutting his calories, right? Hmm. 
and encouraging him to eat a healthy meal in the evening that included either seafood, chicken, because uh, he, he does uh, consume meat, and lots of vegetables. Mm. And cooked and prepared in a healthy way. So I'm thinking to myself, what the program part of it was doing was cutting his calories in about half. Right. And asking him to eat one healthy meal a day. So he was still eating. He was either eating little snacks, but every snack came in a little package. And he was doing okay on it. You know, he was losing weight. But when you mentioned the word sustainable, my biggest concern, I was discussing this with a colleague at a case conference where we were sharing clinical information. And I just said, one of my biggest concerns is he's going to lose 15 pounds, but come February, he might gain it back because it's hard to mm-hmm. sustain that. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's just finding the right path forward with some simple but important principles, which are now evidence-based. I think that's important to know. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and one, of the, one of the quotes that, you, that I really love that you kind of opened the book with is sort of just in the power of food and you know, the impact that it can have from, from Hippocrates, the father of medicine, where he says, bad digestion is the root of all evil and that, that sits in the bowels. And I, I thought those were really clever ways to kind of start um, you know, thinking about how impactful this can really be. But even from way back when, power in the bowel, so to speak, has been recognized. Absolutely. Hippocrates, you know, was onto something eons ago, right? And yet the microbiome research is only the last decade and a half to two decades. But it's really picked up speed, you know, between 2013 and 2017, there's about 12 or 13,000 articles published. So obviously it's gaining a lot of traction and we are seeing the evidence clinically, you know, the studies that have looked at comparison of a probiotic supplement versus Prozac. Now, am Mm -hmm. I saying you should not take your medication? Absolutely not. I am saying that food, nutrients, prebiotic foods, fermented foods, because probiotics are usually supplements, but fermented foods are easy. Every culture has a fermented food. And so these are easy to incorporate into your diet. So these are simple principles and increasing your fruit intake, your vegetable intake with fruit and mental health. I'm cautious to always guide people around lower glycemic fruit like berries. Blueberries mm-hmm. being my favorite because of the antioxidant hunts they give us and the anthocyanins. And also because individuals in the mental health who are struggling with mental health issues may have gained some weight. And so mm-hmm. they want to be really careful about not just having a ton of pineapple or, you know, fruit that are delicious, but at the same time are higher glycemic. So, you know, but increasing the vegetables, that's an easy way to increase the fiber in your diet in a Mm. natural way. I understand that individuals with different GI conditions may struggle a little bit with the fiber, but the average person is just thinking, how can I start to improve things? Adding in vegetables, beans, nuts, seeds are all really great sources of fiber, which are great for the gut microbiome. Your point there in terms of the, you know, when we're comparing, we're comparing Prozac and probiotic and how so many medications for, for those who are struggling with mental health can potentially lead to weight gain, right? So there is this kind of this ongoing struggle between balancing your weight and you're going to continue to be in therapy, maybe take medicine. But let's say specifically, if we can talk about for, for a moment about depression. So many folks, especially since the past year and a half have been, you know, incredibly difficult for everyone. For someone who's, who's struggling with depression and has perhaps in therapy and as perhaps seeing a psychiatrist, what are some things they could be thinking about? And I'll, I'll tell you a little funny-ish kind of thing. As I, was, as I was reading this chapter, as I was sipping on my Diet Coke and I almost spit it out, I said, oh man, I'm already doing something I shouldn't be, you know, this makes no sense for, from like a mood standpoint. I never thought that my Diet Coke could impact my mood. So can you speak a little bit about sure. foods and depression particularly? 
Absolutely. So let's actually start with what you just shared, what you just shared, because, you know, I think that what's important about the work that I do in nutritional psychiatry, it's, it's not about demonizing any particular food, but if we mm. can work on a continuum to start to clean up our diet, start to incorporate more healthy whole foods. You know, I always say, skip the store-bought orange juice because of all of the added sugar and the fiber stripped, but add in, you know, eat the whole orange, just enjoy that orange and you're getting the fiber, the vitamins, the nutrients. It's a similar principle. But cleaning up one's diet becomes important. And all I mean by that is look at any unhealthy habits you might have picked up during COVID. So maybe, you know, being a busy doctor, I've been there and done that. You see the Diet Coke or some other diet soda on call, trying to kind of make sure you're keeping going, that you're having something you enjoy. But here's the thing. There are things like artificial sweeteners, for the most part, most of them, Okay, that the traditional ones that we know about actually are not great for our gut microbiome. There are some newer ones, there's great emerging evidence around them, but not the ones that we tend to find in you know, the diet sodas and things like that. Or if you're trying to go, go without sugar and you're going to sugar-free products, they might actually have some of the less healthy sweetness in them but you know it's also sugar sweetened beverages because we you know we might be drinking soda we might be drinking juice people love kombucha and our kombucha is fermented but there are versions which have a ton of added sugar to take away that top the toughness right and so beware of that type of thing you might actually be thinking i'm doing something really healthy there's another one fruited yogurt so a half cup yogurt can have if it has blueberries i just mentioned them could have eight teaspoons of sugar added right wow to that little small container that you buy. Rather get plain yogurt, whether you have dairy or not, you can even get coconut yogurt these days, you can get cashew yogurt, and just add in berries and cinnamon, you know, a touch mm -hmm. of honey, just to, to do that yourself. And you're having a much healthier swap right there. So cleaning up becomes important. Also, the list is, you know, the fast foods, junk foods, processed, ultra processed mm -hmm. foods, and processed seed and vegetable oils, which tend to be pro-inflammatory. So just thinking about things like what cooking oil am I using? What, you know, my go-tos are avocado oil or extra virgin olive oil. I definitely cook with clarified butter or ghee, but not all the time. I, I use a balance of those. But and then if you want to add in foods, there's a ton of foods you can add in, right? You can add in those prebiotic foods I spoke about, prebiotic foods, not sure those got microbes. They include things like beans, oats, bananas, berries, garlic, onions, leeks, so quite a few on that list. And then adding in probiotic rich foods. So you can either soften the probiotic, but you know, there are also foods that are fermented that I mentioned. Mm. And tempeh, miso, sauerkraut, kefir, kimchi, kombucha, all of those are great for you to start to incorporate if, if you're not eating them. Including things like those nuts and nut butters, avocados, Olive oil, these are healthy fats that are good. And omega-3 fatty acids, you know, you can get these in wild sockeye salmon. You can get them in sardines. You can get them in anchovies. And if you don't consume seafood like myself, you know, you can get it in plant-based sources like chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, sea vegetables also have the short-chain omega-3s. And then, you know, you want to focus on um, spices. You want to add in some turmeric mm. with a pinch of black pepper, a lot of good evidence in mood disorders. Foods, uh, you know, I go through the list in my book because I think it's, it's helpful for people to, have to know the actual foods to eat. But, and other spices that I love to add in for mood are things like oregano. So, you know, it just, it, it's finding that balance of what you can do to improve, improve symptoms. And saffron is also one, but the strengths of saffron, 
which is a delicate spice that is quite expensive, as you know, is that they used a much higher amount that we would than we would use for food in, or in a culinary mm-hmm. way. So that's one place where I think there's a place for supplementation with good quality supplement. I know Dr. Daniel Amen and his clinics do a great supplement for saffron and mood, and I, I don't get any kick from them i'm just a fan of his work uh, exactly you know so so i think that if you if you're looking if you if you really feel you can't get beyond how you feel emotionally and you're looking for a saffron supplement for mood that might be a good place to check it out but besides all of that all the foods that i just listed you can start mm. eating right now today uh, you might probably already be eating them but just try to incorporate more of those in your diet i love that i love how empowering this can be as well because one of the feedback pieces that I've gotten from folks recently is we're struggling and we're trying to get in touch with a therapist or psychiatrist and we have to wait a couple of weeks or months mm-hmm. until we can really connect with someone. What can I do right this very second? And I think all the things you're talking about really give someone you know, a feeling of empowerment. Is there something I can do today, this afternoon? And if you pick up you know, your book, one of the things I love in the chapter two is you know, this little cheat sheets that you've got, right? Is that here are the things right. that you want to right. incorporate right. and you know, it's very, very practical. It is very practical. You know, it's intended. When I wrote the book and we were, my editor and I were working in it, you know, we were really thinking these are things, these are take homeness, right? Because someone in a family, they have a friend, a coworker, whoever it might be, a child in the family, someone might need one chapter and someone else might need another chapter. But those are really intended to guide you and to make it easy, to, to demystify this and make it easy. And it's supposed to be practical. The book is based on the scientific evidence, but it's, I, I really aimed to write it in a way that was understandable to people, that mm-hmm. you could pick it up and get what you need from the book. So thank you for saying that, because you know, a lot goes into it. So if someone's taking, taking away the good, the good points, that's really, that's really important too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite things that I've read. And to your point, how you, know, you mentioned in the book that hopefully not everybody has all of the conditions of the book, right? So if one chapter right. for, you know, applies to you, we ha- I haven't met anybody that has everything too, but most people right. just get one or two. So you know, one of the chapters that I thought was, was so compelling also was the anxiety chapter because mm-hmm. it's an anxious time as well, just yeah. kind of recently. And, and sometimes one of the things that you've kind of spoken about here, some patients have told me I've been anxious. So one of the things I've done to sort of take the edge off is I'll have a few drinks, right. uh, maybe every single night, be a few right. turned into five, right? Can you speak a bit about, from the anxiety standpoint, the anxious gut? Some things maybe that we think could be helpful, maybe having a couple of drinks at night is super helpful for my anxiety. Maybe it's not. Can you shed some light on the anxious part? Sure, absolutely. You know, we'll start with alcohol because I'm hearing that a lot as well. I'm also hearing that people having so much anxiety during the day, just with the work Mm -hmm. from home or hybrid situation, that they sometimes will, so you're right at night, you know, settle down with a glass of wine, but then during the day, calm themselves down at lunchtime because they're not in the situation. So part of it is really helping people understand where they're at because alcohol is a few different things. In moderation, it's perfectly fine. You know, is it perfectly fine? I shouldn't say that. It's not perfectly fine, but it is how I would frame that is most people then not drink alcohol. So I'd rather offer them guidance around how to use it in a way that's safer for their body. So in moderation, and uh, obviously, if your physician is asking you not to drink because of a medication or other condition, you should listen to them. But at the same time, I think people don't realize that alcohol drives anxiety because it may calm you down initially, but eventually it starts to uh, rebound. You need to have more and more of it at 
because you become your body becomes tolerant to it. People mm-hmm. have many withdrawal if they've had a lot of alcohol the night before. They can be super anxious, have a high pulse rate, almost a mini form of what we see in withdrawals. But also when they're leaning on a glass of wine to go to bed and go to sleep, it disrupts their sleep architecture. So things like that become important. But then it's not just alcohol. You know, coffee is actually a healthy substance, but in people with anxiety, they have to probably stick, the research says, to lower than about 400 milligrams a day, because if they don't, it tends to be the caffeine can build up and make them anxious. But at the same time, I always say pay attention to your body intelligence. So if you have even a half cup of coffee and you feel jittery, then it's not for you. Mm. You know, switch to green tea or a different type of tea that is completely caffeine free or something else that could, you know, my favorite is my golden golden latte, which is a version of golden milk with turmeric and a mocha free choice and spices. So it might be something that's not a tea or coffee. I think the message about anxiety is that fiber is your friend. High fiber foods, which include, again, vegetables and fruit, beans, nuts, seeds, healthy whole grains. These are foods which actually really help you when it comes to anxiety. They break down more slowly in the body. They keep you full. By keeping you full and breaking down more slowly, they even out your blood sugar. And Mm. that way you're not having the spikes that you have when you eat a sugary donut which is sort of a simple carbohydrate. Then adding in those fermented foods become important. The turmeric, again, adding that pinch of black pepper becomes important. Magnesium, uh, potassium, and selenium. Selenium you get from Brazil nuts. Magnesium-rich foods include things like avocados. And then, you know, some of the herbs that I often say to people, try out the teas. So lavender can be very calming, passion flower teas, as well as chamomile. So these are things that you can lean on in addition to the foods to uh, help you feel better with vitamin D, adding in vitamin D, just spending 10 minutes of outdoor time with the sunblock will help your vitamin D levels. But there's also, I was just looking at some work uh, written by the Dermatological Association looking at you know sunshine and encouraging people to use sunblock. And here's what I liked about what they said. They said, you know, instead of worrying and getting into the argument of, Am I getting my vitamin D when I wear my sunblock? Why don't you just eat the foods? You know, there are certain foods that are rich in vitamin D, mushrooms, mm. um, egg yolks, salmon, so certain seafoods. So you can get vitamin D in other ways. And I like that because I think I want to, want to encourage people to wear their sunblock, but they get into that concern about it. So vitamin D is important. And I think it's it, some things, again, can worsen anxiety, gluten is found to be one of those things, but it's not the same for everyone. Mm. It's highly personalized now. So some people may respond to slow elimination or elimination, say a week of gluten and notice and improving their symptoms. Others, it may not be the case. So. And to your point there, because there's so much you know, variety and it's personalized, I think it's important for folks to remember that you have that flexibility a little bit. And we're talking about options of foods, right? Not everyone should be kind of eating this and everyone should be avoiding that. But these are kind of helping guiding principles in terms of how to understand these foods differently. Because I think of the things that we're talking about, depression, anxiety, and so on, anxiety seems to be one of those things that there is such a clear, as you speak about in this chapter as well, physical gut symptoms, right? So, so, so often folks come in saying, I'm just, I have these knots in my stomach, that, that anxiety is just giving me these sort of butterflies, and, and oftentimes, if we're talking about some changes that we can make diet-wise, you know, that can really make an impact. That can make an impact. I think because there's so 
these are such anxious times, I mean, people also should tap into other resources we have available within mm -hmm. ourselves, you know, breathing exercises, pranayama yoga or breathwork yoga was shown to reduce anxiety in a study that was published last May. And while it also improved cardiac function, I thought it was fascinating that they looked at the psychological impact. Yet when you get up in the morning and you, you say you have that anxious gut or that not in the stomach, do breathing exercises. Maybe you have a mindfulness exercise that you like to do. It doesn't have to be spiritually based. It can be if that's what you believe in and that's what appeals to you, but it doesn't have to be. A meditation, a yoga, a stretch, a walk outside, outdoor time, all of those can actually help calm ourselves down and center ourselves. So I think the more that I talk about anxiety and stress, the more I realize, you know, it's, it's really a very holistic way of managing it. It's not just a pill, it's not just a benzodiazepine or anything else mm. that you can prescribe. It's also other things. And in the moment, it may seem annoying to someone to say, oh, take a deep breath, oh, do this. It's not that. It's the times when you are not having, say, that panic and extreme anxiety. Can you think through how are these additional ways that I can, I can help myself feel better in addition to food? Food is a very huge cornerstone of that because if you're mm. kind of surviving in junk foods fast foods processed ultra processed foods always say french fries at fast food restaurants most of them have added sugar that you don't even taste because they're meant to be hyper palatable so that you know you're always upsized and when you're upsized you know you don't put it down they are engineered to be that way so when we say fast foods and it's hard in the environment not to avoid these completely, but just having that awareness changes things. If you're someone who's running out for lunch every day and getting those types of foods, then just making that switch, cutting mm -hmm. back on that could make a difference because we'll be consuming far less processed and ultra-processed foods and probably much less added sugar. And fast food restaurants also tend to use processed vegetables to be less expensive. So, and these are pro-inflammatory. So. Wow. But I just want to underscore something that you said that's that's so powerful here that I, I want to make sure people don't miss is this this sort of holistic approach, right? That it's not uh, just a pill. It's not just one kind of therapy. It's not just one kind of food, right? I'm going to go out today and have, have broccoli and my day will be, you know, everything will be better. But as you said, even whether it's spiritually minded things or, or meditation, that's that really having sort of a holistic lens or mindset. I think that's a message that we're really trying to help folks understand through this podcast as well. And I wanted to, I, I, can, I can ask you a hundred more questions. And I was actually prepared so much from the book for each chapter, but I want to be mindful of your time. And I wanted to just ask you, maybe in closing, as, as folks are seeing this, and hopefully this is enough if you're listening, if you're watching, you've already gotten the book halfway through this conversation because it's, it's essential. One of the quotes that you put there to sort of kind of encapsulate all this is, you know, the old idiom is kind of, we are what we eat, but there is this idiom that you talk about as well, which is that for men and women, the the food that enters our, our stomach can warm our hearts and change our brains, right? As some, some people say that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. But, the, you know, I, I really love what you said there is that the, what can enter our stomach can warm our hearts and change our brains. You know, in closing, can you just kind of leave us with your message there, what you were hoping for us to get from that quote and kind of from what we we're talking about here today? Thank you. So that's that's actually a great way to end because I think it loops in the gut-brain connection, which is really where I got most excited about this work and what I'm most excited about what the future holds in terms of things like psychobiotics and how can we actually find other solutions in mental health in addition to what we have and not excluding what we have. So 
the gut brain connection, the gut and brain originate from the exact same cells in the body. So when we are developing embryos, these form from the same cells. And that is why they are connected. They live apart in the body, but they are connected. And then they're connected by the vagus nerve, which allows for this chemical messaging between these two organs all the time. And as I said earlier, the gut-brain connection explains the food-mood connection. Very mm -hmm. loosely speaking, what I'm trying to say is that we are what we eat when we consume food. It is digested in the gastrointestinal tract. It interacts with the microbes, 39-odd trillion microbes that live there that are all microscopic. You cannot see them. And they're really there to help us. But amongst those microbes are also some bad guys. So when you feed mm -hmm. the bad guys with sugar and all the stuff they mentioned is not great, they thrive. And when they thrive, they overcome the good microbes. And that's when you have the setup for inflammation. And you get eventually these things like leaky gut, other conditions. But also, that's when I start to see an uptick of mental health symptoms. Now, take a step back for a second. When we eat healthy foods or start to make those healthy habit changes, like not today, eating, you know, adding spices to your food, adding more vegetables. My favorite are still pure vegetables, like cruciferous vegetables, like cauliflower, those great way to start. When you do that, you're taking care of your gut. And by taking care of your gut, the digested food, the products of the food you eat are positive products called short-chain fatty acids. When mm. they interact with the brain, they are good for us and they improve on that health symptoms. This, this is very loosely speaking. And as you know, in the book, I go, take a much deeper dive. But that's the principle of it. And that's what I mean by what we eat, you know, warms the heart, but it also helps your brain. And if we can just take that away, the simplest health we have a change that we make that is sustainable will help you in the longer term. And, and what I find, I remember, is that, you know, people start to feel better and then they want to do nine other things. Right. The idea is not to give them a list of 10 to start because it's overwhelming for any one of us, any one of us. But if you can start with one thing, you know, add a half a teaspoon of turmeric and a pinch of black pepper, which makes it more bioavailable to your brain and body, to a super smoothie or a tea, starting today. And if that's if you don't cook with it, maybe you cook with it. And if you do, add it to whatever you cook. I can't wait to go make a healthy dinner. I was going <laughs> my wife now. We're ready to, for a new start. So I'm so grateful to you. And I know we, we have a couple of questions from folks, but in terms of affordability and some other questions about memory and ADHD, I'll tell folks that the book goes into a lot of detail about memory, ADHD. There's just fantastic. There are, there are entire chapters on that. Yeah. Yeah, entire chapters that really cover just it's just so so well done. So I just the last question, if I may ask you, just how do folks connect with you if they have more questions, they want to learn more? What's the best way they can connect with you? Absolutely. So subscribe to my newsletter on my website where you'll get updates about what I'm up to, what I'm writing, what I'm doing, and basically that shares updated research and information. My website is umanaidumd.com. Follow me on social where I'm always putting out updated information, giving you easy, all the recipes I mentioned on social media and in my book. And that's at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. And I'm actually releasing the first course for nutritional psychiatry that will be in the fall of this year. So if people really want to take a deeper dive, join me in that. We'll be starting to share more information in the next month. And so if you want to learn more, it's something that you, you might want to join me on. Excellent. Sign me up. I'm there. So just once again, thank you so much. Thank you. I really, really appreciate your time with us here. 
Uh, and I'm looking forward to continuing to, to learn more from you and to, to our viewers. Thank you for tuning in. Please make sure to follow Dr. Native for all this amazing information. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Please take a second to rate and review as this helps us reach more people. And until then, please don't forget to mind your health. See you soon.